0: This is episode 62 of the Steady Trade podcast with your host
1: Tim Bowen. Just because it's new to
2: you doesn't mean it's new to me. And Steven Johnson, I feel like you're asking us questions that you know I don't know the answer to.
0: <laughs> Today the guys review part 12 of Tim Sykes' 14 part trader checklist video series and that means recent millionaire Mark Crooks Pre flight checklist webinar. Uh, obviously, more catalyst equals greater odds of the stock spiking. That's another good episode. So let's jump right in.
1: Welcome back to the Steady Trade Podcast. Today, we're continuing the analysis and breakdown of Trader Checklist. Um, we've got an interesting part of Trader Checklist where this is a two hour webinar. This is part 12, by the way, but this is a two hour webinar by Mark Crook where Mark goes over his pre-flight checklist. Now, I don't know, but I'm guessing by the timeline, this webinar was done kind of before Sykes had started uh, Trader Checklist, started recording it, and, and as well as designing and, and creating the Sykes sliding scale. And I don't remember the exact timeline, but I guess, I'm speculating, that Tim was probably kind of inspired by the way that Mark had created This checklist. Obviously, he calls it his pre flight checklist. And, you know, Mark talks about the idea of, you know, you wouldn't just like you wouldn't just jump in an airplane and hit the throttle and try and take off. You need to go through these steps. You know, you need to check your fuel, check your flaps, check your whatever, you know, to make sure that you're not just, you know, going to take off and crash. So I think this kind of inspired Sykes and I think it's a great example of something that Steven and I talk about and I talk about on Stocks to Trade Pro. I actually did a webinar Sunday night where I went over my, uh, I call it my trade selection sheets. So Crook calls it pre-flight checklist. Sykes calls it the Sykes sliding scale. I called it my trade selection sheets. But ultimately the idea is come up with a process and your process today might not be good but take Crook's pre-flight checklist, take the Sikes sliding scale, take someone else's system, and ultimately make it your
2: own. Absolutely. Absolutely. The emphasis on having a plan, and let's talk about the pre-flight checklist, I guess, today. The importance of checking that every mechanic in an airplane is correct and working. So when it's in the air, it doesn't crash and everybody dies it is paramount. Because if you don't put the checks into place before you take that trade, your account will crash and die. And nobody wants another plane to go missing, especially not in this day and age. We've had a lot of planes going missing, right? A lot of planes have gone missing.
1: Not that many. You know, you
2: you. you... Yeah, there's a, there's a weird argument about this. That it's more, <laughs> there's a weird argument that it's more publicized these days. No, but like the Asia flight went missing. I, I got on a plane and went missing. How many how many
1: flights are there a day? 2 weeks ago. How many flights are there a day and how many planes go missing?
2: I feel like you're asking us questions that you know I don't know the answer to. <laughs> anyway,
1: <laughs> finish what you were saying.
2: It's so important when you to be a profitable trader. I've been profitable, I've been consistent and that I've been un- inconsistent in the main difference always comes... Once you've got the knowledge, the main difference always comes down to how well you can formulate a plan and how well you can stick to that plan. Once you've got the knowledge, the only other thing left is can you create a week-long plan of what you're going to do that week or what you're going to do that month like in terms of discipline? I'm not going to take these trades. I'm going to take these trades. I'm not going to short these these parabolics and stuff like that. And then can you translate that into a daily planning and then can you translate that into a single trade plan and can you stick to those plans? And if you can, and you've got the knowledge, it's pretty very difficult not to be successful.
1: See, and that's what I like about having these worksheets, these systems or whatever, because, you know, it, it, we, it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. A lot of people rapidly acquire a bunch of knowledge, and then they, they, they basically think they've now mastered it. So what I like about having a sheet, and again, whether it's Crooks, psychs, minds, somebody else's, whatever—that brings you back, because it can be very easy to be impulsive. It can be very easy to rush into trades, and if you've got to check those boxes off, just like we did in the episode with with Roland, um, previous couple episodes, you know, we were all grading these trades, and a lot of them we were like, you know, yeah, it's a big gainer, yeah, it has news, yeah, it's left low float. But once we went through the trader checklist, we had a bunch of them that were fifties and sixties, and we were like, "These just aren't that great of trades."
2: And and literally the hottest thing that can you can ever do. And you were you were like, I remember I was on Stocks to Trade Pro, and you were like, "Watch the Roland podcast. Like it's not just me saying this. Like Roland's saying this as well. Like he's backing up what I'm saying. He's like, you don't need to trade every day. You can just take three trades a week. You have to be disciplined. There are periods where you'll be watching the screen for a week and not taking a trade. And I mean, yeah, you've got the ducksies and he's posting 15 and 30 and 50 K every day, but he's the exception of the exception of the exception. And then Roland's an exception and he's only taking three or four trades in this market. I mean, how many, how many would you say that you're taking? I'm taking trades every day, but I'm being ridiculous.
1: About but, that, especially, you know, we're recording, really? we're recording this the end of August and these last, basically after about the first week of August, I'm probably averaging three to four, maybe I'm not trading every day. I'll tell you that much.
2: And and half of them are swings. You're in you're in and out of these higher price swings. So if you're specifically trading penny stocks, you almost not you're not really trading that much right now. I I haven't traded a
1: well yeah. I mean Kron would be the cheapest stock in the fives or sixes. That'd be the cheapest stock I've traded all of August. So
2: yeah, and and absolutely. I mean let's let's get into the clip. But it's just re- it's important to reiterate. It's really. One of the hardest skills to acquire is the ability to do nothing and And just sit on your hands
1: and be selective. Yeah, yep, yep. So
2: I mean, it's it's easiest times to trade are when the market's firing loads of opportunities and you've just got to pick the right one that works best for you. That's the easy time. When it's quiet, it's very difficult to do nothing. Sometimes it's better to maybe just walk away for a few days. But let's get into the the pre-flight checklist. Let's see Mark take off a plane and let's hopefully make sure that it's a safe flight. Attention, please. Attention, this is your captain
0: we'll jump right into number 1 pre-flight checklist number 1 identify a stock that is a big percent gainer above 10% ideally a former runner and predictable in terms of its trading history
1: um so number 1 mark starts out with with the all pretty much every momentum trader's first rule it's a great rule and and this goes for i mean if you trade like true penny stocks 1 cent stocks $1, $10, even $100 stocks. Every momentum trader, even if you're trading like big cap stocks, the first thing they're going to do is look at what's the big gainers of the day. That tells you the stocks that most likely had the most volume. They obviously had the most volatility and they can also help you find you know hot sectors. Right now, end of August, you'll see some of the biggest gainers are these $40 weed stocks like TLRY and CGC. The beauty of that is maybe you're not trading a $40 stock, but you now know, hey, I need to look for the cheaper weed stocks. So it's valuable to find the volatility. It's valuable to find sectors. And then what I love is Mark drops in the point and mentions former runners. Now, I always get asked, everybody gets asked, you know, can I get a list of former runners? Well, I wish I could give you a list, but there really isn't one. You're going to locate that with the chart. And a lot of it's just experience. I mean, I can tell you, you know, you can give me a ticker and I'd be like, oh yeah, that one ran in the past simply because I've been staring at the market for 10 years straight. So I'm glad he dropped that point in there. Focus on the stocks that have ran in the past. They're the ones that tend to run again.
2: Yeah, and and not much more to add than that. I think you really covered it quite well for, for point one. But it's where do you find them? Then there's obviously the list. You can find them on Stocks to Trade and and Finviz. Although I haven't uh, these programs, I, I just have never used before because I've always used Stocks to Trade because it's I think it finds them the quickest. But it's there's not much more to say than that. Other than the fact that people are like, where do you find this stock? Where do you find that stock? And it's and it's like, oh, did you, are you do you have a news scanner up? I'm like, no, like. You don't need a new scanner, so to say. You just really need to set up the right scan, maybe on Stocks to Trade, saying more than five percent, less than more than ten thousand volume, more than fifty trades, and you will get every single stock. And maybe you'll have the top percent gain as of today, the top percent gain as of yesterday, the top percent gain as of the day before. And just keep on track what they're doing.
1: Yeah, obviously we're a little biased here, but uh, this is the Steady Trade podcast brought to you by Stocksy Trade. But keep in mind, check out stockstotrade.com. We do have one of the nice things, and I'll try and avoid too much of a commercial here. We do have pre-built scans that do exactly what Stephen says. So instead of going to all these different websites, you could double-click stocks to trade, and with one click, you can see the most active, most, most volatile stocks. So there's, there's the commercial.
2: Yeah, and I, I don't want to add much more to that, other than look at the interface of stocks to trade on the scanner, and then look at the interface of these three old websites that are outdated, and then then you you make the decision on what you think is the best. Okay, next next slide. Before
0: we actually get into uh, what's running, I want to make sure you guys are fully fully clear on the procedure. The the, the procedure which I call the pre flight. Uh, checklist you cannot fly the plane without doing the pre-flight procedures and this is absolutely critical um, to look up the stocks float the shares outstanding and the number shares short i don't care what the hell you're trading you do it every damn time
2: very well said mark crook you cannot fly a plane without carrying out these checks and one of the most important checks and probably the most important check after you've found the percent gainer is what, are the, what is the float, what are the shares outstanding, and are there any shares short? Now, to be honest, I don't really look at shares short too many times because I haven't really found that you can get an accurate number. But in, in the, And often the shares outstanding and the float are kind of similar. So I really, 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 really pay huge attention to the float.
1: Yeah. Um, so, just kind of defining some terms here, real quickly. We talk about float a lot in in steady trade, but if this is your first episode or first meant first time you've heard it, remember the float is is the freely tradable shares, shares that can be traded by us, you know, non insiders, um, you know, shares that aren't locked up. In essence, um, and and that's why we always talk about low float stocks because. Remember the float is the supply, so if you 're going back to the Adam Smith supply and demand type idea, float is the supply the let you know and, and i 'm assuming most of you have had a basic economics class, and you know that the less of a supply of something, if there 's a demand, you know the higher the price is going to go in essence so supply constraints mean with, with added with demand mean the price can go very high so now I will also kind of agree with Steven in that I don't necessarily look at the shares outstanding either because again, I only care what's freely tradable. I care about the float. Now Mark is a little bit more analytical, a little bit more of a short biased trader than me. So he looks at a little bit more information. Um, and then the last term and the last one that I, again, much like Steven, I don't really pay attention to is the number of shares that are held short, number, for a couple reasons. Um, write these down. Couple, couple good tips here. Number one, the shares short, as reported, whether it in, be in Stocks to Trade, whether it be in Yahoo Finance, wherever it be, is always a lagging number. Okay, that number is a month old, sometimes older. So even if you're, tra- if you're trading the stock today and it's a day one runner you're only gonna see the number of shares that are shorted from three weeks ago, a month ago. So it's not necessarily that useful. And the other thing, the other point I would make that a lot of people don't consider, when you're talking low price stocks, they're all heavily, heavily, heavily shorted, okay? There's a reason Stephen likes to short every stock that is up more than 5% on the day is everybody, loves to short these junky stocks. So not disagreeing with Mark, definitely look at these numbers and track them. But just remember, especially when it comes to shares short, it's a lagging number, lagging time-wise, and every single one of these low-price stocks you will look at will all be heavily shorted.
2: Yeah, and, and, and not not much more to say than that, other than the fact that we, we have our favorite steady trade analogy of, of volume and float, should be married as partners together because they they work well together. So you've got to remember that if a stock has a float of just 2 million and it's trading 10 million, that means means literally the people in and out of the the float has turned over and turned over and turned over. And no one is really underwater and no one is really over water. And it kind of means that I don't know if it means that VWAP even matters that much. I guess VWAP would become less significant. It's a weird argument. I've never thought about it before.
1: So, uh, you know, S- Stephen makes a great point. And the way I, uh, an analogy I use with float and volume and float rotation, think about like a, a a busy hotel, like on a holiday, like like hotels on New Year's Eve. There's only so many rooms and everybody wants to get in there. So, you know, somebody's got to check out of their room so someone else can check in. That's that idea of float rotation. And, you know, these people are tripping over each other to get in that room on on New Year's Eve because everybody wants that hotel room on New Year's Eve, probably the biggest hotel night of the year. That's that idea of float rotation, limited supply, everybody wants in. And that's why the same hotel that's, you know, 120 bucks in August Is 750 bucks on New Year's Eve. That's that float rotation
2: item. I've never heard that analogy before, Tim. Is it the first time you've said it? Is that the first time? No, have you said it before? Uh,
1: I don't know. I think I've said it before. That's the first time you've heard it. Just because it's new to you doesn't mean it's new to me.
2: Learn something new. Okay. I'll think (laughs) about that while we're going to the next clip. Actually, (laughs) and
1: real quick, I also want one more note before we move on to the next clip. Back to checklist number one, Mark talked about former runners. Notice a stock in his slide, HMNY. This is from 2016, okay? HMNY went from 50 cents, I think, to $40 in 2017. So that was before HMNY went from 50 cents to $40 in six months, Mark was talking about it in 2016. That is a great Example of former runners. That's why you I want knew. to keep an eye on them.
2: I think it's probably down at about forty cents or a dollar again now, right? Oh did no, it's just,
1: like down to two cents now. Did they just and, and they the reverse? They they reverse split several times. So it, yeah, yeah. When you consider the value of its peak at forty dollars, it's probably like a thousandth of a penny now. But
2: so was that whole movie pass thing just all lies? or Ah, uh, at
1: this point, they, they actually got shut off. It's a big, you'll, yeah, yeah, it it's was a
2: big very, that's sketch. very yeah. sketchy. I mean, because that was been, It's a... as sketchy
1: as your trip to Thailand, yes.
2: <laughs> and that trip to Thailand was pretty sketchy. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> next clip, next clip. So let's talk about why the stock's up. What is the catalyst- uh, obviously, more catalysts equals greater odds of the stock spiking. Earnings winners are potential buys. We know that contract winners are, are also potential buys. Uh, technical breakouts are a catalyst in and of itself. Uh, then we also have pumps, promote promotion, uh, newsletters or seeking alpha. We talked about hot sectors earlier, uh, biotechs, oil, Ebola, low float all of these are different are hot sectors they can be potential buys one other rumor to to talk about is a buyout rumor typically i I have guys in the chat room and people emailing me all the time what 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 about this stock there's a buyout rumor i could make a dollar a share there's speculation that this thing's going to get bought out for ten dollars and it's trading at nine dollars ignore 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 there's no edge on these on these uh types of plays So do not play them. Put them on ignore. Uh,
1: You know, it's funny. I I talk about this a lot. I've got uh, tons and tons and tons of respect for Mark Crook. He's a great guy. um, Great trader. You know, it's funny. This DVD was done. um, I looked roughly at the timeline. I think the producer said at the time of the DVD, Mark was up about, or at the the webinar, Mark was up about 600,000. If you've gone in the archive of Steady Trade, you'll know that uh, Mark is over a million dollars in trading profits. Very inspirational, great guy. Very analytical. Um, he's about the exact opposite of Steven in, in many ways. Uh, but I tell you, there is nothing on this slide I disagree with. I can't think of anything that I uh, that I can look to disagree with. But
2: can, there's a ton, of
1: ton of great uh, great information here. Again, when he talks about earnings contract and technical breakouts, those are what I typically refer to as like more of like what a swing trade would be. He mentions avoiding the low float junk. I typically avoid low float junk when I swing trade. Um, the pumps and promotions aren't really around much anymore, but when there is one, it's a potential short. And then he talks about hot sectors, which is one of my favorite things. If I had to pick my favorite type of trading, it's sector trading. You know, right now we're in the middle of a mini weed stock run. We had cryptocurrency related stocks last uh, fall and winter. Love hot sectors. And yes, buyout rumors. Avoid like the plague.
2: Yeah, and and not much to add there really, other than the fact that I mean, I remember when we... When I really Other than the fears, fact that
1: you want to short earnings winners, contract winners, and technical breakouts?
2: Honestly, honestly, I don't see that many contract winners because the, the, the first things that we were really pushed to look for were the earnings winners, the contract winners. And you, obviously, when it's earnings season, you'll have earnings winners in the day run. But contract winners, I don't see that much of. But where I really see momentum is in the hot sectors. Like for example, the weed sector has been the only thing keeping like penny stocks alive in in August and and stuff. Like, uh, what other hot sectors have we? Uh, well, of, well,
1: remember there. the blockchain also, stuff, you know, last fall. And Blockchain's and more recent
2: since this. Yeah. So police yeah. and crime, crime devices. When whenever there's kind of shootings or anything like that, we have like camera and spy services sectors heat up and stuff like that. I think the hot sector is generally where you get the biggest moves. And, and then you get multiple opportunities because it's multiple stocks moving as well. So I think a hot sector is probably, and he said this on the interview as well, hot sectors is probably the number one. And pumps and promotions, we, we generally just don't really see very often anymore. Maybe in OTC land a little bit, but not, not so much
0: on NASDAQ. So we're going to talk about ideal risk reward a little bit later. But let's, let's get into the details of this, the research itself why again why the stock's up what's the catalyst and where's the longer term and shorter term support and resistance and once we once we look at all of these things we can determine whether or not the stock is worthy of being on our watch list as a potential long or potential short
1: all through this series i've been trying to figure out why an elephant and a horse are in the stable together but Needless to say, I
2: don't know the answer.
1: <laughs> Needless to say, um great points here. Um I totally agree with number 1. I all for me I I give the most weight to the 1 year chart, but I will look at the 3 and 5 year, but always take that few seconds to look at the long-term chart and find these support and resistance levels. Now, the next question we'll get is how do you find these support and resistance levels? A lot of it's experience. A lot of it's listening to steady trade podcast. A lot of it is looking at charts till your eyes bleed that I talk about a lot, but reading books. I mean, there's a lot of great resources out there on identifying key support and resistance levels. And then thousand percent agree with these last two points. I say this every day in stocks to trade pro look for clean charts avoid long-term downtrending charts. I'm trying to think the ticker today. There was a gainer today. And I mean, it was up 20%, but for two years, that stock had just done nothing but fade. Those are, I mean, those are either ignores if you're a long bias trader or they're potential shorts. So if you're new and focusing on buying and going long, which is what I recommend starting with, do exactly what Mark says. Look for the clean charts. Avoid the bag holder, long-term downtrending charts.
2: Yeah, and the only other thing really to add is is also look where the volume resistance is as Great well. Idea. So if there's a lot of volume, when you're looking at the resistance levels, look how much volume's there because that's how many people are potentially kind of bag holding, which is what we went through earlier. They're the bag holding the stock from that level. So if the stock spikes at that level, they might be likely to sell to get out. If it breaks through that level, it's broke through a, a bigger barrier, so it, it might have more likely it might be more likely to have a bit of a bigger push. And the other thing on the flip side of that is if you've got a chart which looks to have resistance, but all of the resistance is all kind of trading twenty thousand shares and thirty thousand shares a day, and then all of a sudden on this day it's trading like five million shares. <clears throat> the daily volume really outweighs any kind of resistance level. So the resistance on the chart becomes less meaningful.
1: So we talk about support and resistance a lot and especially resistance. I, 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 you know, I look at it, St- Stephen looks to shorten into resistance. I look to buy when resistance is broken. The best analogy, the best description I, you know, I can think of is, you know, think about that chart that has spiked to $5 in the past. Then it faded back, spiked to five dollars again, and I mean these aren't precise numbers, but roughly. So say it spiked to five, and then dropped, and then six months later spiked to four ninety and dropped. Six months later, spiked to five ten and dropped. That's where you're going to say there is resistance at five because what has happened is every time it spiked into that level, the selling has come in. That's why we we like to avoid those charts until they break. Because what that's telling you is that lots of times long-term shareholders are selling into these key levels that they're thinking about from six months ago. So think about if you're that long-term shareholder and you've been holding from two, $2 a share, and twice in the last year, this thing has spiked to five and failed. Each of those times, you're saying to yourself, you're like, damn it, why didn't I sell at five? Twice this year, it spiked to five And I didn't sell. And now I'm back here holding at three. So that is a resistance level because now what's going to happen next time it spikes to five? You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That third time, I'm probably going to say, screw it, I'm selling at five. That's why there's resistance at these key levels. And that's why we look to shorten them if they fail those levels. Or again, as a more long bias trader, When that resistance level finally breaks, that resistance, that selling that is holding the stock down, because remember, stocks go up when people are buying, when people are bidding it up. You know, it's just like an auction. If we're bidding on a car and everybody's bidding it up, the price of the car keeps going up. When that resistance breaks, that means that the majority of those people that have been holding have all sold all their shares. Now we've got new buyers. Everybody is now bidding the stock up. So once that stock breaks to 525, 550, it is proven that it's broken resistance and odds are all those sellers that were holding it down at five have all sold. They're all out and we got new buyers, new bidders, and that's why the stocks tend to rip after they break resistance.
2: And just just to add, never think that a stock can't go higher because it really, really can. Once once the the shorts get trapped and once all the shorts are shortened, say that the resistances are two and every short shortened at one ninety, 190, one eighty five, one ninety five, and then two, and then two or two. They all have to cover and when they have to cover they have to buy, and when they buy it shoots. And that's why you get these crazy parabolics. And what what came into mind? What's the stock that boomed through one and now, now it's like Nelly trying to boom through two. Tell me I, that's I, not shorts uh, getting rotated.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. I IGC is a very sketchy marijuana stock. They actually used to be in like bull, renting bulldozers and excavators. They've pivoted to weed. Sketchiest stock in the world, but every day it just goes up because it's low float. Everybody's shorting it, and everybody's getting their faces ripped off.
2: But the thing is, though, and the only people who aren't are the people with huge accounts that are just going to hold it because they're going to afford to hold it. But for the average Joe, you can't do that. Yeah, I mean, you will get f- going
1: in f- on people. Phil, Phil Godeker, we've done, you know, Ozark Trades. He'll we did fine. a pat. He'll, he'll, he'll just hold for two months, and he'll probably make 500000
2: But But the thing with IG, is it IGU, I don't know I don't know IGC. what that did today. IGC. I don't know what that's doing today, but I, I, I saw it's people. It's above
1: VWAP right now, and it's 1 p.m.
2: What, what's the price of it? What price is
1: 180... it at? 185.
2: Yeah. Because when I saw that pop and then consolidate and consolidate, I'm like on the daily chart, I'm like, that's probably going to just be trapping shorts, sucking the coming in up it's gonna, on
1: magic hour, 2. PM. It's
2: going to rip past two and go to three and God help everyone.
1: Actually, before we go on to the next clip, we're recording on August 29th. So if you're listening, you might be hearing this two weeks from now, six months from now, check out what IGC ends up doing on August 29th,
2: 2018. Because mo- Stephen and
1: I are agreeing on this one. <laughs>
2: it's going higher, eh? It's going higher. It's trapping shorts and it's going higher. And it's going to squeeze like it did the other day. It's going to squeeze 30 cents just like it did the other day. Next clip. So I'll, be in, I'll be tucked up in bed. Though. Shut up. Next clip.
0: <laughs> and we'll get to this uh, as well. Uh, ideal risk reward. Uh, and that just goes uh, along with the analysis of the support resistance lines and where the stock's been trading ideally you must have a three to one risk reward meaning you should be looking to make 50 cents to a dollar a share uh, with downside of roughly 50 15 to 30 cents a share depending on the price of the stock Uh, so you always have to have your game plan entry exit points otherwise don't trade the setup Only focus on stocks that meet criteria number one, number two, number three, and number four. Most stocks offer bad risk-reward. Avoid.
2: Yeah, and for me, risk-reward, this is probably one of the components that will take the longest amount of time to learn. What should you risk in order to obtain which or what reward? And you'll think, well, how do I know? How do I know what this stock's going to do? How can I figure that out? And, and it's not easy. You need to see certain situations happen over and over and over and over. So you can think, ah, okay, I've seen this before. What if I get in here? Can I risk this amount to potentially make this because I've seen it do this before in a similar situation? And the other thing I'll just say about risk-reward before I will let Mr. Bowen take, take the stage is we've just talked about support and resistance levels and what they are and i just want to say you really really especially from a short seller's perspective should use these support and resistance levels as your friends and as your guidance because if a stock is approaching a resistance level the the closer you are to short next to that resistance level you see if the stocks at two and you're taking a short at 195 You're thinking, well, I'm only risking five cents to two, and if it breaks that resistance level, I can cut, and potentially the downside to the nearest support level might be one seventy, one sixty, in which case you might be only risking five cents to make forty cents. So you take a little bit early thirty cents. That's kind of five to one risk reward. So that's one way you can determine it using short using support and resistance levels.
1: Yeah, actually, one of the things I like, you know, (laughs) we you know.
2: I, I we, sugar,
1: baby. One of the reasons, you know, that, you know, I, I, I think sometimes I kind of come off anti-short selling. I'm not at all anti-short selling for about seven or eight years of my career. I was 90% a short bias. The biggest reason I will, especially on the podcast kind of talk about, you know, being a, you know, more long biased is I think so many new traders struggle with discipline. Now, if you've got like bulletproof discipline, if if you've listened to every Jocko Willink podcast five times and you're more disciplined than he is, short all day long. The biggest thing I like about shorting momentum stocks, low flow stocks is the clear risk to reward. I mean, if you're, you know, say a stock is spiked 200% on the day and it's now faded off the high of the day, That is a great potential short because most of these stocks are junk if you can stop out at that high of day. I mean, my thing is, and I say this a lot, if you're short a low float stock that makes a new high a day, you are an idiot and you deserve to lose your entire account and you probably will. That is one of the good things about a short selling because once you've been there a few times, you know when these things hit the new high of the day, midday, late day, IGC might do it today, you're going to get your face ripped off. So that is what Mark is talking about, about keying at a level. And I don't think there's any better or example than a big gainer that's fading on the day. You're short. This is now spiked to the high of the day, and you're starting to justify, and you're starting to add, or you're starting to read the news or whatever. That key level is staring you in the face and telling you that that is your risk. The trade didn't work, and that's where you need to stop out.
2: Yeah, and, and the, the worst thing about it is it comes in three phases, being someone who I experienced who's done this a lot recently. Comes in an experience, and basically what happens when you short, risking off the high of the day, say the stock spikes, pops down, you think this is junk, it pops up and makes another lower high. And you think, I, I'm up. I'm going to average into this winner. And then all of a sudden, it pops up and it spikes a bit more than you thought. All of a sudden, your first challenge is thinking, am I ready to cut this at the high of the day? If you go to fail that, you think, I'll tell you what, I'm going to see if it breaks the high of the day. I'm not going to get out yet because that's resistance. That's the wall. I should respect resistance. Then it breaks the resistance or it's just about it. That's your second opportunity to cut it you don't cut it on the second opportunity when it's just about to break resistance, what then happens is you think, I'm going to wait and see if it does break resistance. Then it blows through resistance and yeah, everyone goes long. Everyone it. short covers, right? And do you know what happens then? <laughs> stock, stock blows so far past the resistance that you think, well, I can't possibly cut it now <laughs> because it's ridiculously, I'm ridiculously down on the position. So why don't I just wait for it to pull back a little bit? Then it pulls back a little bit, and you say, I think it's coming back down. I might not cut it yet. Then it goes further, and you just think, I am done for. <laughs> that is the psychology of not cutting a short at resistance. Tim, what what point is the best point to get out at? Do you have the discipline to cut it before it breaks the resistance or literally as it breaks the resistance?
1: Well, again, if in my scenario, my example, and, and trust me, I've been – where that that scenario that Steven just explained I have been there more times than I care to account okay. I, was I, I I, was I know I'm today. this I'm this salty old veteran but 5 6 years ago I went through that cycle that Steven just explained way more times than I you care to admit
2: but still going I mean, through it. I went through it today I went through it today <laughs> I am I am a terrible trader sometimes
1: but for me back to my scenario. I, I, I gave you, you know, a few minutes ago the, the, the analogy, or the, the setup I gave you was of ridiculous gainer, you know, with news that is spiked and is now fading. Me personally, if that thing if it gets anywhere near the high day again, I'm out and I don't
2: care what happens. No. So you're not thinking double top? You're not thinking double top? No, because you not know what it's it is low
1: float. Now if it's a hundred million float, if it's three hundred million float, different scenario. But if it's 2 million float and it's hitting the high of the day after the initial spike, hell no.
2: Because honestly, what, what ends up happening is everyone's jumping in that short. And and if it start, if dip buyers take it up, shorts are getting edgy. Shorts are getting edgy. More dip buyers are dip buying. More people are jumping in for the high of the day breakout at 10.15. More shorts are getting scared. More shorts are getting scared. Then cover, cover, cover. Breakout by, breakout by, breakout by. Boom. It just it happens... Yeah, I agree with you. I've got a stock cut in high of days. It's me number one problem.
1: Now, the now keep in mind, so many of these stocks ultimately fail, but to me, it's not, I call it, it, it's not worth the ride, okay? And Steven and I have talked about this many times. It's part of his process of of learning. I do not, you know, and I know there's a lot of these guys on Twitter, these big shots on Twitter, that risk $50,000, to make $5,000. That is not how I trade. That is not how I recommend trading. And if you're in a small account. And you're risking $500. To make $50. Good luck. you know. And that is exact opposite. Of what Mark is talking about. And that's what a lot of these guys do. I, I call it going for a ride. Now you might be green at the end. But man. It ain't worth the ride. The horror show. You know, the, 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 the horror movie you're living for four hours through the middle of the day to make a couple hundred bucks, it ain't worth it. No thanks.
2: No, and, and the, the weird thing is, though, and just to give some other people peace of mind, because there'll be a ton, of, ton and ton of people going through on rides every day. And from my experience over the last 24 months, when I, I mean, first of all, you just lose all the time. But once you find profitability, you find profitability through bad risk-reward trades. And you will, you will like, I remember about 12 months ago, I was profitable, but I was risking 600 to make 200, risking 800 to make 300 or risking a thousand, but making 150 and thinking it's still a good day. But then what happens is you get this one that makes you lose four grand. You know, that's and what
1: then, I always, I always say, you know, and this is not my saying, but that works great until it until does. It doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and
2: then, and then what happens is you go on the raids less. You still go on them. You still go on them because you think, ah, oh, do you know what it is? This time, I'll just get away with it. I'll just get away with it this time. And I'll, I promise I'll never do it again. <laughs> but then you do do it again. And then you go on the ride a little bit more. But eventually, eventually, in this, I'm not, at the, I'm not at this point yet. Eventually, you stop going on the ride. I, I'm, and honestly, I self-profess. Had very good education. Had very good tutorage from Sir Timborn, especially over, the, over, the, last, over especially the last 12 months or so. But, I, but not going on the ride, it's, it's the one thing I haven't been able to stop doing yet. I do it a lot less. I do it a lot less. Which is where is the soap? But I still go on the ride. It's you baby any, steps, baby. It take is one, baby
1: steps. Get 1% better every day.
2: Yes, totally agree. And, and it's okay to go on the ride. It's okay that you go on the ride. It's okay that you buy the ticket. It's okay that you go on the roller coaster. It's okay that you take the ride. Just make sure that you're going on the ride a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit less. And then one day you're going to wait and say, baby... I'm not going on that right today. not going on it tomorrow and I'm not going on it next year. Hasta luego. Copy Mamma mia. I'll see you later.
0: Hi, this is Aaron, a.k.a. Double A Ron from New York City. And I like to go outside and find a stray dog, preferably an aggressive breed like a pit bull or a rottweiler. Then I get real close, stare it down eye to eye until it starts to chase me. Then I run. That's right, I run while listening to Steven and Tim on the Steady Trade podcast. You can register to win real actual prizes at their website, steadytrade.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the podcast a five-star rating and write a glowing review on iTunes. I did, and this is how we say goodbye in New York City and and and